Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Christmas. Isn't it a pleasant holiday? Oh, turkey's in the oven, it's peaceful and quiet. Yes! 300 points, my best score yet. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's that time of year when everyone has a special wish in their heart. Why, it's Christmas. Once upon a time, in a magic land, a Christmas celebration was held. Today, we invite you to join this celebration as the magic of a Disney Christmas fills the air. Merry Christmas. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The Magic Kingdom proudly presents our holiday celebration. WDW Radio, your information station. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number 46 for the week of December 23rd, 2007. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello. Thank you for tuning in once again, and happy holidays. We'll start off the show, as always, with some news from Walt Disney World, including a number of changes at Disney's Hollywood Studios, new dining venues at the Magic Kingdom, pirate and princess party dates, and more. Our trip to the Walt Disney World rumor mill talks about imagination and Space Mountain. Keeping in the holiday spirit, we'll take a detailed look at another of Walt Disney World's hidden treasures, the Winter Summerland Miniature Golf Course. Made up of two different experiences, it's an often overlooked gem of the resort that offers hours of inexpensive fun for everyone in the family. Steve Barrett joins me once again to talk about some of Walt Disney World's best, newest, and most controversial hidden Mickeys, and we'll talk about some that come out just in time for the holiday season. I'll answer more of your emails, including questions about The Legend of the Lion King show, Breakfast at Epcot, Characters in Epcot, watching the Super Bowl while at Walt Disney World and more. So grab your eggnog, cozy up by the fire, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. We're going to start off this week's news with a fun trivia fact. Did you know that the Walt Disney Company is the largest single-site employer in the United States, with more than 60,000 employees in Walt Disney World? Well, they are, and Disney is now looking to take even better care, literally, of their cast members, as they have just announced plans to build a medical center for workers at the Walt Disney World Resort. The new $6 million, 15,000-square-foot clinic is scheduled to open on the Walt Disney World property in 2009, serving more than 40,000 other resorts more than 60,000 employees, along with their dependents who participate in the company's health care plan. The clinic will be open on nights and weekends. It's also going to offer same-day appointments and longer-than-average visits with medical professionals. Walt Disney World President Meg Crofton said, our motivation is to provide quality health care, convenient access, and choice after the announcement was made. 
It's unclear at this time what health management company is going to take over operations of the clinic as that process should take a number of months to complete. Over at the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World, there are additional dining choices now during the very busy holiday season. For example, Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe is serving breakfast from 8 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. daily up until December 31st. The Tomorrowland Terrace Noodle Station is going to be open for both lunch and dinner. And the Diamond Horseshoe is going to be serving quick-service lunch from December 23rd through January 3rd. In addition, a full-service traditional turkey dinner is going to be offered between December 24th and December 31st. El Parada y El Perico restaurant is going to be open daily, as well as Sleepy Hollow is going to be open for waffles for for breakfast from 7 a.m., offering another breakfast choice for guests. The Plaza Ice Cream Parlor is going to open at 7 a.m. for Coffee Express, including coffee, hot chocolate, and pastries. And there's also new carts and kiosks that are showing up in several locations. For example, there's a Tomorrowland kiosk that's going to serve burgers, sandwiches, and salads. Another cart in Tomorrowland is going to serve hot wings and chili. In Fantasyland, a cart is going to serve a turkey wrap and Caesar salad. And the Center Street hot dog cart is going to return on December 25th. Staying in the Magic Kingdom, the dates for the 2008 Pirate and Princess parties at the Magic Kingdom are as follows. They're going to run from January 21st through June 4th of this year. I'll put the exact dates up in the show notes at wdwradio.com. But between January and June, you're now talking about six months of this hard-ticketed event that doesn't even include other events like Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party, which starts earlier this year, as well as Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. Over at the Disney MGM, soon-to-be Hollywood Studios, work has begun to remove all references to the Disney MGM signage as the Disney MGM marquee was removed this week from the Animation Courtyard Arch and the old logo on the Earful Tower, uh, Water Tower, has been painted over. You should expect to see new signage starting to appear before the official changeover date on January 7th, 2008. Staying over at the Disney MGM Studios, the rumored new great movie ride cast member uniforms that I spoke about a few months ago have begun to appear on cast members. Instead of the red shirt and usher's cap, cast members now wear a red shirt and a gray blazer. And finally over at the studios, the old home to the Hunchback of Notre Dame stage show is being removed as I spoke about a few months ago. Work is currently underway on removing the roof and it's expected that the entire structure, which has been used for storage for the past few years, will be completely demolished to make way for a new building whose use has yet to be officially announced. Over at Epcot, the Spaceship Earth attraction has been open on and off for the past week or so, with some lucky guests getting a very early sneak peek look at what's to come when it officially opens in late January or early February, according to the official Disney releases. One aspect of the pavilion that has recently opened is the new post-show game called Power Cities at Spaceship Earth's Project Tomorrow. This interactive game has guests performing a number of different physical acts in response to an interactive play unit on the ground, like one that you may have seen uh, at some shopping malls. Now, if anybody's had a chance to try out the game or is going down to Walt Disney World and is going to get a chance to try it out, please give us a call. Call the voicemail. Let us know what it's like. You can call 206-202-4WDW or you can send an email to lou at wdwradio.com. Finally, over at the resort, Disney's Yacht Club has announced a name change for one of its dining venues starting in 2008. As of January 1st, the old Yacht Club galley is going to be renamed Captain's Grill. It's a nautical-themed cafe that serves sandwiches, salads, etc. for lunch, as well as steaks, chicken, and other full-service entrees for dinner. 
I'll put a link up in this week's show notes to the official Disney World website so you can get an idea a little bit more about the Yacht Club Galley. Over at Disney's Coronado Springs Resort, Rick's Lounge, an upscale nighttime experience, has just opened and features house music, specialty drinks, tapas-style appetizers, as well as a variety of entertainment. The 300-seat, 5,000-square-foot venue has a Mediterranean-inspired atmosphere and is more of an upscale, sophisticated lounge aimed at the conference guests that often visit this resort. It's meant to be a place where guests can go to unwind after a day of work or a day at the park or celebrate a special event, party all night, and get a truly VIP experience. It's open daily from 5 p.m. to 2 a.m., and entertainment's going to vary between a top 40 DJ and a few different percussion bands. The venue also offers VIP table service and is available for special private events with creative entertainment options. For more information, you can call 407-939-3806 or visit rix-lounge.com. That's R-I-X-lounge.com. I'll put both the phone number and the website address in this week's show notes. Again, that's going to do it for this week's news. If you want to discuss anything you've heard in this section, go to the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. And if you have any news that you hear and want to share, be sure to email it or call it into the show. With this being the holiday season, just a couple of rumors that I wanted to touch on. First, I've spoken about some of the rumors, many of them quite wild, about what may or may not be going on over at the Imagination Pavilion. Although some new construction permits have been filed, they don't really give very much towards solving the mystery of what may be happening there. The permits were filed in order to make minor changes to the Image Works, the Kodak What If Labs post-show area. The permits cite, quote, refurbish and refresh interior finishes, including paint, light fixtures, projectors, and floor covering. Again, not very telling, and they may just be the precursor to something minor or possibly a major new use for that venue. Obviously, we'll keep a very close eye and ear on this one. Also, rumors of the Space Mountain refurb that I spoke about over the past couple of months may actually be larger than expected, and believe it or not, the rumor about them removing the top of the structure might actually be true after all. But again, this is still the subject of much internal debate among Imagineers. Another source has written to me in the past couple of weeks and said that they might actually remove the top of the mountain and pull the parts of the old track, etc. out of the way. It would, if this is what's going to happen, drastically speed up the time to rehab the mountain. Now, if they don't take off the top, everything has to be very small to either come out or be brought in to the mountain itself. Obviously, a much longer time frame for a refurbishment would result. Again, there is no confirmed word on what the extent of the rehab might be, and this very well may be one of those wild rumors which is just starting to make its way around. Of course, like everything else, I will try to find out all that I can and keep you informed as any new details emerge. And as always, if you have any rumors that you hear or just want to discuss or share, you can call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW or send an email to lou at wdwradio.com. Here he comes now, the big hand. Touch. Turn it 
turns to snow in my clutch. <laughs> I'm too much. <laughs> Another of Walt Disney World's hidden treasures is particularly appropriate for this holiday season, yet it's open all year long, but unfortunately overlooked by most guests. So to take an in-depth dare I say, borderline DSI look at a true gem of the Walt Disney World Resort. Who better than Jeff, I did everybody's logo, Pepper, to join me. Thanks, Luke. Pleasure to be here, and I did do everybody's logo. (laughs) If Jeff hasn't done your logo yet, you can reach him at Jeff Pepper at uh, 2719. But anyway, Jeff, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we did a top 10 holiday moments with Tim Foster, yet what we're going to cover today wasn't on the list, uh, partially because we really wanted to take a very close look at this, and it's just something that's full of wonderful sight gags and jokes and laughs and offers guests really a few hours of a, a lot of fun. And it's, it's like you said, it's a holiday theme all year round. Um, it's the one place outside of the various Christmas shops in the various parks where you can get a kind of a Santa theme throughout the year. And it's the uh, Summer Winterland Miniature Golf Course that sits next to Blizzard Beach. Or you can even call it Winter Summerland if you want to try and... Did I do that, bro? (laughs) (laughs) You know that I spent 15 minutes before we started recording saying, don't get it backwards, don't get it backwards. Listen, we understand dyslexia, it comes and goes, that's fine, it's not a big deal. But yeah, it's Winter Summerland Miniature Golf Courses plural, because it's not just one. It's located, obviously, outside the theme parks, right next to the entrance to Blizzard Beach, and it's kind of a a loose-sized miniature golf course actually made up of two separate experiences. One has a sort of Blizzard Beach look and feel to it, sort of the, the winter in Florida, while the other side has a much more tropical sort of holiday theme to it, with, you know, palm trees with Christmas ornaments on it, and You know, like everything, Jeff, we talk about this all the time in Walt Disney World, whether it's an attraction or shop or restaurant. Heck, I'm sure even the men's rooms probably have stories behind them that we don't even know. This is no exception because there's actually a great story that goes along with this above and beyond just some of the cool details that we're going to cover. Yeah, it it was great. And I, for the first time when we were down at MouseFest just a couple weeks ago, this was the first time I had a chance to go over and take a look at it. And I'm embarrassed to say that it very much does hold that hidden treasure kind of moniker because it sits kind of off the beaten path. It's back in an area where unless you're really going to Blizzard Beach or you're staying at the All-Star Resorts, you really aren't driving past it very frequently like you are the Fantasia Gardens Miniature Golf, which is very, very prominent there over by the entrance to Boardwalk and the Epcot Resorts. And so I was I have to say I was very embarrassed that I had it's taken me this long to get to it. And it is it is truly a fun, fun, whimsical, really great experience. And that's the unfortunate thing about it is it is so often overlooked. I don't get to go as often as I'd like because I always talk about, you know, time not spent in the parks is time wasted. But this is one of those exceptions. And if you do want to maybe take a day off from the parks or don't want to use one of the days on your tickets, you could really spend a few hours at Winter Summerland or any of the miniature golf courses, I think especially here. And it's like $10 per course and maybe 7 or $8 uh, if your age is 3 to 9 and you can get a, a few hours of fun, you know, interactive, playing with the family, 
And again, if you really want to take the geek factor up a few notches, there's a lot of really fun things to see. But let's talk about the story first behind the golf course, because like I said, everything has a story. And then we'll talk about some of the, the holes and some of the cool things that you can see along the way. So when you when you go to the golf course, you'll see, like I said, obviously the, the Christmas and the holiday theme. And the story goes that one Christmas Eve, Santa's on his way back from Florida, uh, back up to the North Pole, and he looks down, and he can't believe what he sees. He sees that, you know, there's snow, like at Blizzard Beach, in a place that's normally supposed to be very, very hot, which is the middle of Florida. So he goes back, and he surveys the area, and he says, you know what? I'm going to build a vacation vacation destination for my elves. When they're off duty, I'm going to give them a place to go, and that's how Winter Summerland came to be. So it's supposed to be this big resort, but the only thing it was lacking was a golf course. And now the elves kind of divided up into two camps. One of them liked that, liked the Florida sun and the heat, and another one that actually preferred what they had back home, which was the snow and the cold of the North Pole. So what they did was each of the elves' little camps built two different 18-hole golf experiences, the summer course and the winter course. And both of these courses, Jeff, as I'm sure you saw as you went through, are loaded with all kinds of really fun interactive elements. And there's characters like Squirty the Snowman that sprays water. And there's Santa who's buried in the, in the sand. There's all different kinds of things that that permeate through both sides. But the one thing that the elves agreed on was that the last few holes should converge into an old campground-style lodge. And, and Jeff, you're going to touch on some more of those references along the way. And some of the things that you can see in that final thing. And like I said, there's a lot of very, very cool details that we're going to cover. And why don't you go ahead and talk about a couple of your favorites that I know um, kind of are on my list of some of the really neat things that you can see there. Yeah, what, what I really like about this, and again, if I, you know, we've alluded to this in some of the other DSIs when we've talked about Dino Land or kind of things that are retro-themed, is this is very much, again, um, the, the courses and just the design is very much rooted in sort of that Route 66 roadside attraction, retro 1950s theming. And if if you've or any if anybody out there is familiar with, you know, and I'm sure countless people are, the sort of the Santa Land type theme parks that were sort of just small scale theme parks that you were typically roadside attractions. I know we had one in Western Pennsylvania when I was growing up, and I know there was one in Colorado when we visited Colorado. They're usually like Santa's Land or Santa's North Pole. The, the Imagineers really went back to those type of attractions for their for their inspiration. And so you have these like, you know, the reindeer barn and just basically just that type of kind of kitschy 1950s roadside attraction kind of design, which really works well. And one of my favorite design elements is the, the trailers. Um, there are all these tiny miniature trailers where the elves are staying and they're both on both sides of the course. And instead of they're modeled after air, the silver um, Airstream trailers that are very, you know, kind of iconic in um, trailer lore and especially back in, you know, roadside 1950s and everything like that. And they've renamed them Elfstream and they took it right down to the point where they even duplicated the, the, the logo style, the Airstream logo. And they're they're all sort of, they kind of, like you were saying, there's the, the main lodge there and they kind of emanate out from there throughout some of the, the, the holes that are close by. And so all the design elements are just, just really very cool. The, the, the um, trailers all have customized license plates with little, you know, messages. Um, one of my favorite ones is on the trailer that's, I think, right in the main lodge area there, and it's CMNTTWN, which is coming to town. And 
uh, I think I think you even were mentioned quite a few of the bumper stickers and other license plates on some of the other ones. Yeah, it's almost like what they do over at, over at Fort Wilderness, where everybody kind of decorates their campsites. That's the same kind of thing that's here. And even Santa has his own trailer. He has his own little campsite, and he has his elf stream that's got his bumper sticker that that you know asks you to please uh, practice random acts of kindness and, and things like that. And you really get such a fun sense of like you really are kind of putting through um, this kind of campground. Yeah, there's the best part of it is when you right at the center, you you kind of go into the what I'm guessing is like right there's the reindeer bar, um, the reindeer barn as you walk up, and you're kind of where you go in to pay and get your golf clubs and everything like that and get set up, is I guess the lodge. And as you walk out, there's a very large and very great kind of very comical statue of Santa, and he's on a surfboard, and he's he's got um, he's literally riding on a surfboard carrying a bag of golf clubs with a fishing rod sticking out with a fish stuck on it. He's got his camera around his neck. And while he's wearing his Santa cap, he's also got sunglasses and, you know, a bathing suit and trunks, you know, <laughs> bathing trunks and a uh, red candy striped shirt on. So it's very, very whimsical right off the bat. Um, and that's kind of right at the center area that we walk in. And it, the statue actually has a marker on it. And it was basically um, presented to Santa as the founder of, um, of the place. And it's, you know, kind of dedicated to him from the elves and the elf lodge. Yeah, and you, you mentioned whimsy. And I would have probably venture to say that I think that the summer side is a little more whimsical and, and kind of um, funny in certain respects than the winter theming um, because of the fun that they're able to have with things like the melting snowman and the Santa that's buried in the, in the sand. Although the winter side is a lot of fun too, with all the different campsites. Maybe what we'll do is let's talk about some of the things, some of the elements you can see on either side, and we'll take the winter side first. And one thing you should notice about all these is the funny sort of names that they give, and sort of um, punny names, I should say, that they give to the different holes. So, for example, on the winter side, the first hole is there's snow place night like gnome. And it says, aim for the door, right up the ramp, watch your ball roll into camp. And you, the first hole is actually you have to hit it into one of these Gulfstream trailers. That's actually the first hole. Um, the second one is a gone fishing hole. The third is defrosty the cooler. And there's this little uh, cooler right outside one of the trailers that has um, gingerbread in it and things like that. And it says, put up the middle, give it a whack, make it a good shot, and you'll get a snack. Fourth is put out. Think- I'm sorry, go ahead. No, what I was going to say is, and the, the thing that's very interesting about this is, even though you know we're talking about the winter side, there's a distinct parallel between the holes on each side of the course. Um, that one of the holes on the winter side will reflect a very distinct, um, similar theme as the one on the summer side. And what they'll do, I mean, an example that I don't mean to jump ahead, but to give an example is, there's one hole on the the summer side will be a big sandcastle. On the opposite side and the winter side it's the same exact principle but it's a snow castle and it goes back and forth there are sand sculptures of disney characters on one side there are snow snowmen versions of them on the other side so there's a distinct parallel between the two courses and the holes exactly you actually were going somewhere i was going to touch on which is on the next couple of holes they deal with sports themes so you'll have on the winter side rink in the new year and there's this little sort of ice rink that's got these hockey sticks kind of buried into it and number six is drive a hard toboggan where on the summer side you've got 
Yuletide surfboards and the old fishing hole again with kind of a sports theme kind of following along with it. And I, I, I think the funniest one there is, and you, you, I think you probably know the hole numbers. I'm not sure the hole numbers on them. There is on the summer side, there's a hole where Santa is buried under the sand where, you know, the elves have buried him in the sand. And I believe the parallel hole on the winter side to me is one of the funniest elements of the whole place. And that is, it's basically Santa's had a skiing accident <laughs> and he's literally been flung forward. You know, he's, he's taken a spill off of, I guess, a ski jump and he, he's literally buried face down <laughs> in like a snow drift from where he's been flung. And it's, it's pretty hardcore. <laughs> like the, the poor guy's in bad shape and it's, it's one of the funniest sights that I saw on the entire course. Yeah, we'll put some pictures up in the show notes this week, but the hole you're talking about is hole 12. It's called crashing through the snow. And it says, for those of you who may be guessing, he took skis without a lesson. And you can see the two skis <laughs> kind of going around a pole and up and over. And then Santa kind of implanted into the snowbank. And, um, you know, hole 13, like I said, is Squirty the snowman. And you've got his partner who's melting on the opposite side. Squirty's kind of melted into, um, into the course. But there's a lot of other stuff even above and beyond that, Jeff. Some of the other little details along the way that you can pick up um, just beyond the courses uh, and the holes themselves. Yeah, the, one of the, the cool things that I really like, and this again is on the summer side, is there's um, there's sort of an ongoing design element of like tropical fruity drinks. Like you'll see on the lifeguard stand, um, there's a there's a little drink sitting there. It's like kind of you know your fruity slushy whatever. And the umbrella that typically comes out of those type of drinks is an umbrella, but it's a Christmas tree. And um, the the kind of the how would you be the the umbrella that's on top of the lifeguard stand is kind of the how would you describe it straw type umbrella that's very right. typical tropical, but then it's garnished with um, Christmas ornaments and then it has a Santa hat coming off the top, and the actual lifeguard lifesaver is all wrapped in Christmas wrap. Yeah, and you'll see a lot of these cool things at the very end as the two courses converge, and you you really are sort of inside the lodge, and one of the holes is a lot of fun where. You're, you're putting, and Santa's feet are coming down through the um, through the chimney, and the hole's actually called. It's the flippers were hung by the chimney with care, and if you look very carefully, there's not stockings that are being hung. There's actually little sort of duck-like flippers that are hanging down, and like it, it's not it's not an easy course by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's it's pretty challenging, and in fact, that's that's one of the things is when I was looking at it, I think it's very distinctly more challenging than the Fantasia Gardens course. The Fantasia Gardens is pretty tough too. Uh, again, as miniature golf courses go, and the theme in there is Why good. Uh, you want to throw down? Is this a challenge? Am I hearing the Lou versus Jeff charity golf tournament? Wait a minute, I'm having. I'm ready, buddy. I'm ready. I'm having an epiphany here. The Lou Jello Jeff. I'm going to put. I'm going to put $50 on the table. <laughs> on the mantle. On the mantle piece. I think I might be seeing a, a celebrity golf challenge coming up in the future over at Winter Summerland. We'll have to talk about this some more yes. and uh, and do something for charity with it. And uh, <laughs> I could see this being a lot of fun. We'll have a celebrity golf invitational and maybe see if we can get some other people from the community to come on and golf with us to raise some money for charity. But uh, one of the cool things at the end uh, is a little computer screen, and it's called the WinterNet, and the computer is a, is a Frostbite computer, and it's got this little animation going on, and there, there's music and stuff like that, uh, too. So, I mean, it's a really, really fun 
experience. And if you decide to play both holes, um, I mean, you could really make a long afternoon out of it um, with your family. And it's good for adults. It's good for kids. It's good for grandparents. It's not that expensive. If you do the second round, you get 50% off. So you actually can save money if you decide to play both on the same day. Um, And it's really take the time as you're walking through to see the amount of fun that the Disney Imagineers had really putting this together and the little details. And we always talk about looking up and looking down and look inside, look inside the windows of the Gulfstream trailers and you'll see a bunch of different Mickey plushes through the years and you really get a sense that there are real people that own these trailers uh, and that have kind of parked here and um, and really appreciate what went into uh, putting this together. And to throw out a, a quick tip as well was when you were mentioning how you know things like this kind of stay off everybody's radar because you know, like you, you know the mantra of you know time in the parks is time time not in the parks is time wasted. But a good point here is that both this and Fantasia Gardens has extended hours. So I believe they're typically open till eleven o'clock at night. So you could very well you know spend your entire day in the parks, leave MGM or leave the Magic Kingdom at seven, eight, or nine on you know a lot of times when they close early on the off season like that, and you can still head over and have a have a good deal of fun before the night's over. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's open from usually from 10 in the morning until 11 o'clock at night. Obviously, check, you know, when you go down. But um, it's again, it's easy to get to. I know Disney transportation will take you there. And if you do go to so for example, if you go to Blizzard Beach in the morning, you can walk right next door and enjoy winter summer land. And there's lockers and things like that as well. There's also uh, a snack bar where you can get some food, some light snacks, um, a souvenir stand, surprise, surprise. So, but um, yeah, you know, I'm really starting to get intrigued about the uh, WDW Radio Celebrity Golf Invitational to uh, to raise money for charity. So, let's let's get going on that. A, a good excuse to go uh, to go play golf with uh, <laughs> with other people in the community, and hopefully, some we'll get some listeners. So, stay tuned for that. We'll talk about that some more and see when we can do it. But like I said, we'll post some pictures up in the show notes this week to give you a little bit of an idea of what you can expect if and when you go down um, to Winter Summerland. And I'll also put some more information if you want to go to Disney's website to find out more about it. So, Jeff, as always, thank you very much for coming on. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll take this opportunity to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Likewise, Lou. Um, That's why I just want to take a moment and say, Thank you to you, especially for kind of inviting me into your world this year. Uh, we kind of started our relationship almost back at the beginning of the year, and it's been a great, great, fun time. And just a special thank you to all the listeners out there who have been very encouraging and supportive and have, you know, sent me emails and visited the blog. And just it's just been a, been a fun year, and I just want to wish everybody the best of holiday seasons. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. It's time once again to bring back onto the show one of the all-around nicest guys in the Disney community, but he's also somebody who's a master at his craft. 
and that's hunting for and discovering, examining, and often debunking hidden Mickeys in both Walt Disney World and Disneyland. He is, of course, Steve Barrett, author of Hidden Mickeys, a field guide to Walt Disney World's best-kept secrets and Disneyland, and webmaster of HiddenMickeysGuide.com, and he's back once again to talk about Hidden Mickeys and Walt Disney World. Steve, my friend, welcome back to the show, buddy. Thanks for having me, Lou. It's good to be back. Steve, you've been on the show a number of times in what is now really a recurring segment on the show where you highlight some of the new Hidden Mickeys in the parks as well as talk about some of your favorites. And the thing I like, too, is you ask listeners for help in deciding whether or not some of the questionable Hidden Mickeys qualify. By They can go to your site at hiddenmickeysguide.com and vote there. But, Steve, if I can this week, I wanted to first read a listener email that I think you are probably best qualified to answer. And then, actually, I have a question of my own. How's that? That sounds good. Let's go. All right. This comes from Jennifer in Chicago, Illinois, and she says, Lou, I've been, a reg- I've been listening to your show, and I really enjoy it. Since you know so much trivia, I figured I'd ask you about the Kermit in the queue of Star Tours. I wanted to know if you knew why he was there and if there are any other hidden Muppet characters in the parks. I have my own theory, but I'm really interested to know about it more. I actually think it might be there because Disney purchased the Muppets for the first time in August of 89. Maybe he was placed there because the Muppets were joining the Disney family. Kermit also appears in The Little Mermaid, which is released around this time, and I've seen him in the movie. I really love listening to your podcast. Thanks. You do a great job. And again, that's from Jennifer. So, Steve, the she's talking about Kermit in the queue of Star Tours. Can you tell us about Kermit and then maybe if there are any other Muppet characters or hidden Muppets in the parks? Well, Kermit the Frog is, is definitely along the queue of Star Tours as you enter the uh, building, the inside queue. Um, he's there as as you go up the uh, entrance, the first entrance ramp, the first ramp up, and you turn to the right, and you, you look down, and you'll see him there. He's been there for a while. Obviously, it looks like Kermit. It's made of uh, the image is made of tubes and and different parts, as you might imagine uh, a Star Wars image to be made. But it looks like Kermit, and it is Kermit the Frog. He's been there a while, so obviously the Imagineers are wanted him to be there, and they've kept him there. So, I as as to why they picked Star Tours, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but. It's a, it's a wonderful image. Yeah, he's and he's. I'm yeah. going to put a link in uh, in the show notes specifically to your website where they can find uh, it on Hidden Mickey's Guide because he's not just the drawing of a Kermit. It, it's kind of this little funky robotic looking Kermit. You really have to look yes. for him to find him. Yes, you do, and and you have to know the area. Uh, it's it's a little bit dark in that inside queue, but once you spot him. It's 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 really amazing. It's it's a wonderful image. The Imagineers did wonderful with that, uh, with with the Kermit there. Now, as far as uh, other Muppet hidden Muppets in uh, Disney World, I, I'm not aware of any. Um, now, of course, at the Muppets attraction, there are hidden Mickey's, um, but I, I don't know that uh, there there are hidden Muppet characters per se at. Um, at Disney World, even at, at even at the Muppets attraction, yeah, Kermit's the only one I know of. Yeah, I was gonna say you'll find hidden, you know, Donalds and hidden things like that, and hidden Star Wars characters like we've talked about before, but not specifically Muppets, which is interesting, unless somebody maybe knows of a hidden Muppet that we don't know about. Sure, and nobody's written me about that, so I don't, I don't know that they actually exist. You know, it, it's uh, 
the Imagineers can can do anything they want, so maybe they will start appearing at some point. But as to as as to now, uh, Kermit's Kermit the Frog and Star Tours Q is the only one I know of as a hidden Muppet. Okay, and I just had a quick question for you. Maybe all right, maybe not so quick with knowing my questions, but with um, the holiday season coming up, or actually, it's already kind of in full swing uh, in Walt Disney World. What about things like the holiday decorations and parades and special events? Are there any hidden Mickeys that are consistent year to year uh, in the decorations? Or do the holiday cast members sort of have some free reign and maybe like to put in new hidden Mickeys from year to year? There's definitely free reign in the uh, hidden Mickeys that appear during the holidays. Uh, on the, uh, during the parades, the holiday parades... Of course, hidden Mickeys appear. Now, by the way, a lot of these Mickey images are more decorative than hidden, as you know what I mean, because um, some of them are very obvious, because so they can... want the Mickey images out there. So, so you'll mean I, like, I, like an ornament might be a hidden Mickey as opposed to something that's really, really hidden. Right. And, or uh, uh, you know, a large three-circle classic Mickey image sometimes is, is posted on a float, that's not really a hidden Mickey. It's more of a decorative Mickey. So you see decorative Mickeys all over during the holidays. But some of them would qualify as hidden Mickeys. On, on, the, on the gingerbread houses and in, in the various resorts, some of the Mickeys uh, that they place on these gingerbread uh, houses are, are clearly hidden Mickeys. They're very small and, and, and take an effort to find them. But they do change from year to year. It, it, since they're since they're made afresh by the by the chefs and the and the artists, um, they they use their own discretion and their own imagination to put in these uh, hidden Mickey's. So they they don't tend to be standard from year to year on the gingerbread houses. But um, in the Osborne lights, some of them are recurring. I think that's what I was going to ask I'm you about. I'm pretty sure they yeah. are. Some of them are rec- recurring, but new ones appear every year at least up to now. So Disney has made it almost a game to, to, to find and quantify the number of hidden Mickeys in the Osborne lights. They even advertise that virtually every year. But, but some, of them, some of them are recurring hidden Mickeys in, in the Osborne lights. Yeah, because one of my favorite, I guess, not-so-hidden Mickeys is something that I haven't seen them do in a number of years, and that was on the Earful Tower over at the Disney MGM Studios where they used to have the big Santa hat that they, you know, for whatever reason, haven't done in some time. Right, right. Yeah, so they, they do change things up. They, they, each holiday season is different. Uh, so and I look forward to the holiday seasons because um, people send me images that I haven't seen before from the, from the holiday floats and, and the Osborne lights and, the, and, um, and Epcot uh, holiday uh, celebration areas. So... You know, Disney does use a lot of imagination with putting putting hidden Mickeys in, in, during the holidays. Well, you like getting them, too, so you can say, Honey, listen, I, I have to go back to Disney and go verify this again. I'll, I'll see you. <laughs> <it. laughs> I, I do it all the time, Lou. There's Absolutely. a method to your madness. I know, I know. A- any excuse, I tell you what. Your research trips are a lot shorter than mine, but we both use the same sort of technique to get there as often as we can. So, <laughs> Right. Right. I'm just up the road from Disney World, so it's easier for me. Yeah, you know, one other quick question, and I don't know 
I, when I was thinking about MGM and kind of a lost big hidden Mickey, one of the ones that I used to like was the one that was on the map before they did a lot of the construction with Sunset Boulevard. Uh, there was kind of the, the largest hidden Mickey that you could see on the map itself if you turned it upside down in the forecourt in front of the great movie ride. And it's not really there so much anymore. But what are, are there ever any hidden maps, uh, hidden maps, any hidden Mickeys on the maps that maybe people could look for or that you've ever found? You know, I think the MGM map hidden Mickey is still there. Um, I have some images on my website from fairly recent. You can see, if, if you look hard enough, you can see parts of Mickey's face on the upside-down MGM map. So I, I think he's still there. And, and enough of him has, hasn't been removed such that, you know, you can't make out his parts of his face. So I still think that qualifies as a hidden Mickey. Yeah, the eyes and the nose are pretty pronounced. With uh, I think they were it was a planter and things like that. But one of, I know, his ears kind of got skewed. And I think, isn't the right ear yes. Echo Lake? Uh, is, is, I think, one of uh, his ears. Yes. Yeah. One of his ears is Echo Lake. And uh, you can still see his widow's peak, so to speak, on, on his forehead, um, on, the, on, the, on the upper part of his face. I'll, I'll so, put a link and, directly. And you, know, you can also still see his smile, the edges of his smile in the cement. Right, which would have the, been uh, in right in front of the great movie ride, right? Yes, okay. on the upside down map. So you, you can still see part of his face there. They uh, they they keep they keep it there. So I, I think it's a pretty cool hidden Mickey. Now now folks have sent me uh, aerial images of Epcot, and I'm still debating about Future World. They're, they're, the aerial images show the monorail circle and a couple of the uh, pavilions forming his ears. And I'm, I'm going to put that up on my website and let people vote on that because I'm not sure if that's certainly uh, questionable whether it's a purposeful hidden Mickey for sure, but it may be uh, a Mickey image that people like, hmm. and that's the Epcot Future World. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like I said, I'll put a link up to the MGM one and then direct people over to the site so they can go vote on the Epcot one. I, I never heard of that, but I'll definitely go and check it out. Actually, you lead me to where I wanted to go next, which is talking about some of those questionable hidden Mickeys that you like people to vote on, because uh, although you are the emperor of the hidden Mickeys, it is somewhat of a democracy, and you do like people to vote. So are there any good questionable ones that, that you specifically want people to go and look at? Well, you know, yeah, Lou, I've been voted down recently on a few, and I, I want to mention some of those. Because, veto. Veto them, if you believe yeah, I've in been, it. Yeah, <laughs> I've been vetoed. Um, and I put them up on my website because people love them so much. Uh and the one, the one that I have the most trouble, one, one of the ones I have the most trouble with is the, uh, or the uh, three circle images at the rock and roller coaster entrance queue in the tiles. Um, as you enter, just enter the building on the inside queue of the rock and roller coaster. There, there's some, there's a tile floor, and you see two images of three little circles in the tile, and. People have argued for years, well, it looks purposeful. Sure, absolutely it does. And if you ask cast members at MGM, they'll, they'll tell you, oh, yeah, it's a hidden Mickey there. And it's on, you know, MGM has a sort of a quasi-official list. If you ask for it at guest services of, of hidden Mickeys, and that, that image is on, on that list. But all the circles are the same size, and that's been one of my criteria that, um, that I 
use for debunking uh, hidden Mickey image if they're all the same size circles. You know, Mickey's head is not the same size as his ears. But anyway, these, these circles are so popular that on my site, people voted them in, so I put them on my website. You know, I just, as you were and, talking about it, I went to go look for it. And again, I'll put a link up to this one as well. And when I first saw the image, before I saw and heard your comments, I said, well, clearly it's a hidden Mickey because yeah. all the other tiles are clearly yeah. cut with, with, you know, straight lines and, and very uh, jagged edges. And these three circles are together and they are, you know, perfect circles. But then you're right because proportion, proportionally they don't qualify as a hidden Mickey. No. And if, you, if, you, if you're a purist, that's called a trefoil. And that's an ancient design. Uh, three circles that are the same size, you know, together. Um, and it's been argued that, uh, I've heard the argument that, well, the, the, the people that laid the tile there were asked to put a hidden Mickey. And this is the best they could do. And my argument back is, well, there, there's a perfectly good proportional uh, proportionate tile Mickey in the Polynesian uh, at the Kona Coffee Bar. If you look on the tile on the coffee bar, there's a wonderful little hidden Mickey there. It's tiny. Mm -hmm. It's clearly purposeful, and it's a lot more proportional than uh, than this one is. So I, I, you know, I think the tile people could have done better. <laughs> like, you know, at least they should have known what Mickey looked like, or whoever was supervising them would say, well, you know, make the head a little bit bigger than the ears. You know, but. You know, it didn't happen, and this will be with us for until that area is torn up and redesigned. And uh, people voted it in, so I'm hmm. conceding, conceding defeat with this one. <laughs> I'm sticking with you. Look, you're the master in my eyes, so I'm sticking with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if we allowed three, three uh, same-size circles to be hidden Mickey's, uh, there would be thousands all over Disney World that would be pouring in. You know, with circles, groups of circles everywhere. Well, the so, thing is, um, it makes it fun to, to kind of debate whether or not these some of these are hidden Mickey's. Yeah, it makes it fun. And uh, to me, uh, Mickey's head is bigger than his ears and always will be. So. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, what about some of the other really good questionable ones or some of the new ones maybe that, that you found recently? You know, there, you know, some of the n more intriguing new hidden Mickey's that have come along this year are two uh, rock formations that come to mind. Uh, they're both at Epcot. One is at uh, the Living Sea, well, the, the Seas with Nemo and Friends Pavilion, and it's in the Manatee Tank. If you look, if you go to the Manatee Tank, and you can see this image from the uh, either the second or the first floor. If you look down at the bottom of the Manatee Tank toward the right uh, side, you'll see rocks on the uh, bottom of the water that form a hidden Mickey design. And the other, uh, I want to group these together, the, the other interesting rock formation is in Japan Pavilion in World Showcase. If you walk to the, uh, in, in the Japan Pavilion to the Mitsukoshi um, department store, uh, to the right of it, in fact to the very far right of the, of the whole pavilion, is a little walkway, and there's a clearing in the bushes, and you'll see three rocks down in that clearing that form a hidden Mickey. And they're, they're beautiful little images there. And, and 
one thing I, I'm very cautious when I when when these rock images appear because they tend to not be stable or permanent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> Now these these particular hidden Mickeys have been there long enough that I'm gonna, I'm going to put them up on my website because they're they're clearly purposeful uh, proportionate hidden Mickeys uh, made by rocks and they seem to have been been there long enough that the cast members evidently want them to stay. Uh, interestingly, the the one in the manatee tank seems to the different photos I've gotten of that, it seems to change a little bit. I mean, maybe the cast members change it around from time to time, but um, if the cast members want it to be there and they're going to keep it there, um, then I, I, may, I hope it stays there because it's a, it's a beautiful hidden Mickey. The one in Japan, unfortunately, is reachable. I mean, you can reach down and touch it, and uh, the rocks are not glued in place. So... Up to now, and this has been probably six or nine months that this image has been there, uh, it hasn't been removed and people ha- haven't destroyed it. You know, may- maybe the general public, uh, 99% of the public doesn't know it's there, so they don't disturb it. But um, it's been there long enough that I think the cast members probably want it to be there. So hopefully it'll, it, both these images will be there for years, is what I'm hoping. Well, this sounds and like not the... Temporary. Uh... This sounds like, you know, when you talk about cast members moving and things coming and going and changing, that reminds me of the ballroom scene in the Haunted Mansion with the legendary hidden Mickeys on the plates in the far left corner. And we've talked about this before, about how it's not an official hidden Mickey. It's something that the cast members put in, then the Imagineers put it back and back and forth. Right. What about the Haunted Mansion after the refurb? Have you seen it? And are there any new, quote-unquote, official or new hidden Mickeys that you found in there? I, you know, I haven't heard of any. Uh, people have written me uh, of new ones they've seen, but I haven't confirmed them. So I'm, I'm a little disappointed that uh, there's not at least one or two new ones in there. Maybe maybe there are, and, I, and we just haven't found them yet. But um, so far, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean has some new ones that are very intriguing, and we're going to do that in our at the Mouse Fest, um, you know, Magic Kingdom Hidden Mickey's Hunt. We're going to uh, look at some of those new ones in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, hopefully Haunted Mansion, we're going to find some new ones there as time goes by. I haven't found any really good, compelling new ones in the refurb. I sense research trip in our near future. That That's what this is screaming <laughs> to me. So, You and me, Lou, we can do it. I'll bet you there's some new ones. I'll bet you. Sure. I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt that there's some new ones in there that we haven't found yet. Well, that, that's the fun about this whole thing is searching, no matter how many times you go back, to see what has changed and to see what kind of new hidden Mickeys you can find. So, and uh, Yeah, it, it's, really, it's really cool that the Imagineers and artists don't make a list. They don't tell Disney. They, they, they just sort of put them in and they wait for us to find them. And that, that clearly uh, is what happens. Exactly. And the fun is in the quest. And, and, yes. And then even if you can't get down to Disney... You can get on the site and kind of still look at some of the new ones, and and I like kind of voting on what we think is or isn't a hidden Mickey. But above and beyond that, what what I think is great is you talked about Mouse Fest and the hidden Mickey hunts that you do in each of the four parks. I said you are like Moses leading his people because you have this fan <laughs> of thousands of hidden Mickey's fans following you the, through the parks. But uh, there's nothing we have better. Fun. Yeah, there's nothing better than touring the parks looking for hidden Mickey's. 
with with the Hidden Mickeys guy himself. Well, thanks, Lou. It's it's fun for me too. It's the highlight of my year. I tell you what. Uh, again, don't forget that Steve has multiple books at. He's got not only the Hidden Mickeys, a field guide to Walt Disney World's best kept secrets. Now in its what edition? Third edition. Third edition. You've got the Hidden Mickeys for Disneyland, which is uh, relatively new, just came out last year. And you've also got the hassle-free guide to Walt Disney World. So uh, you are a man of many talents. Well, as are you, Lou. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me on the show. This is always fun. Thank you. And again, I'll put a link up in the website. Go to hiddenmickeysguide.com. Again, I'll put links up some to some of the specific Hidden Mickeys Steve talked about. And of course, if you have a Hidden Mickey that you want to submit, there's a form right on there that you can go and send it into Steve, and he'll obviously credit you if it's a new Hidden Mickey that you find. So, Steve, always a pleasure, buddy. I, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Absolutely. All right. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been able to get to some of your emails, and I'm sorry about that, but we're going to try and get through a couple before we end this week's show. The first comes from Lee and Chuck Canzaneri from Disneyland, who writes, Hey Lou, love you, we never miss an episode, although we have to admit that we're currently full of jealousy and a pinch of spite. Since your trip to Mousefest, my hubby and I have both come to a green shade in color of jealousy for what fun you had. Listening to the excitement from your sound clips and just hearing you guys talk about it, makes us wish even more that we were there, if that were possible. We hope to have a memorably exciting and story-filled experience when we go in 2009. Ugh, that just seems so far away. But here's my question. Epcot characters. Is there a way to find out who appears in which country in the world showcase? I am character-crazed and love seeing the different, rare, and unusual characters that hide out in the different countries. Suggestions on how to find out who, where, and maybe when... Lee and Chuck. Lee and Chuck, thank you, and I know 2009 seems far away, but here's something that'll kind of help you get ready. There's a site called uh, Steve Soares Live Entertainment. I'll put a link up in the show notes. He has uh, a, a schedule of all the Epcot Live Entertainment that you can find both in Future World and World Showcase, and has a pavilion by pavilion World Showcase outline of both the bands that perform as well as the characters that you can find and is pretty up to date as to exactly when they'll be. Obviously, when you go, be sure to check a times guide um, for, the, for the most up-to-date information. But I'll put a link up to Steve Soros' page. It's pretty much the de facto reference guide online for the, uh, the character meet-and-greet times. Next email says, Dear Mr. Mangello, please call me Lou. I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now, and I must say that I really love it. This coming spring, I'm going to Walt Disney World with my high school's band. While I'm very excited about playing in the parks, I'm more excited about going to Disney for the first time with all of my friends and, more importantly, without my parents. My concern now is that many of my friends have never been before or were too young to remember, and we won't be following the schedule that our parents made up for us. We really don't want to miss anything important, but we only have one day for each park. Do you have any suggestions for us? Thanks. Lindsay C. in Suffield, Connecticut. Lindsay, congratulations. You are going to have a great time, and it's going to be a very different experience for you. Because you only have one day in each park, it's more so important than ever to make sure you plan ahead. 
go online, look at a site like All Ears Net, or pick up one of the guidebooks like the Unofficial Guide or Steve Barrett's Hassle-Free Guide. Really start to sit down with your friends and say, okay, what's most important for us to do? Is it meet characters? Is it to, is it to ride the big thrill rides? Is it to eat at certain restaurants? And then kind of map out for each park what it is that you want to do. Um, once you get there, it's important that you try and hit those things first. So if you're into the thrill rides at the Magic Kingdom, try and get there early. Try and get to Big Thunder Mountain. Get your fast pass for Space Mountain. Almost get a little guide or a, or a touring plan together. And again, you can use a book like Steve Barrett. You can go to touringplans.com. That'll have some sample guides for you. But again, outline what all of you want to do together if possible. Not everybody's going to want to do the same things. And try and accommodate as much of the people as you can so you can do as much together as you can. But again, don't try and over plan. Don't try and get something down that you've got to kind of follow this uh, very rigorous schedule. Just pick the major things that you want to do. Try and hit them. And most of all, have fun. Next email is from Nate Parrish from Missouri who writes, Lou, I have a question for you. Is there any place to eat breakfast in Epcot? I've searched through different websites with menus and can't seem to find any breakfast items in Epcot. My wife and one-year-old son are going to be in Walt Disney World for the last week in January, and we're thinking that extra magic hours in the morning would be a great for us because our son is an early riser. Welcome to my world. But is there any place to eat breakfast in the park? We used to enjoy the offerings and lattes at the Fountain View, but as you know, it's now an ice cream shop. By the way, I've got my brother and my wife both hooked on your show as we love the different segments and excitement that you bring to our favorite place, PS1 Jeanette's Visit Scheduled. Nate, last question first. I'll be back in early January for the half marathon. And um, who knows? I might even see you at the end of the month. But as far as breakfast options, you actually have a, a few different ones depending on how you want to go. Maybe you want to try something like a character meal. And you can go over to Restaurant Akershus for the Princess Storybook Breakfast. Now, I know your son is obviously a boy and he's only one, but he might like to see some of the princesses come by. You get a pretty unique um, little bit of dining experience over there. Other places in the parks, I'd probably highly recommend Sunshine Seasons over in the Land Pavilion. That's probably your best bet. You can get a lot of different breakfast snack items, pastries, bagels. They also have eggs, pancakes, whatnot. Another option you might want to consider is, depending on where you're staying or maybe how you want to do it, you can go to the Boardwalk. We talked about this a few shows ago. There's a lot of great places to eat in the board, on the Boardwalk itself. If you want to sit down, kind of breakfast, you can go to Spoodles. They have a bunch of great different skillet-type items. You can also go to the Boardwalk Bakery. That's someplace I like to go. Grab something quick. Just get a little bit of sugar, a little bit of caffeine and you're on your way, walk through the International Gateway and make your way into Future World. This obviously World Showcase isn't going to be open. But again, inside the park, I'd probably say Sunshine Seasons unless you want to do the character meal. Otherwise, try something um, at the boardwalk or just get something quick at your resort. Try and get to the park as early as possible. Jennifer Banaski writes in and said, Hey Lou, love your radio podcast. I listen to it in the mornings when I'm traveling on the light rail to work in Baltimore. It definitely passes the time, but I have to be careful that I don't daydream too much so I get off at the right stop. I've been fortunate the past two years for my company's sales meetings being held in Orlando, and I couldn't imagine going down to Orlando without going to Disney World first beforehand. I'm going January 2nd through January 6th with my sales meeting starting on the 7th. Question, though. Last year, Splash Mountain was closed for refurbishment, which I was sad about, but it happens. Now I see, according to All Leaders Net, where I check to see foreclosures normally, that it's again closed in January. What's going on? Thanks and happy holidays. Jennifer, yes, you are suffering from one of the blessings and curses of going in some of the off-seasons like January. 
Um, because what happens is normally Disney takes these opportunities to do some minor refurbishments, updates to some attractions while it's a relatively slow, slow season. So it may be cheaper to go, it may be less crowded to go, but certain things might be closed. So for example, in the off-seasons, you're always going to find one of the two water parks that's closed for refurbishment. You're also going to find, like Splash Mountain, a bunch of other attractions that may be down, albeit temporarily, for minor refurb. So for example, in January, in addition to Splash Mountain, Minnie's Country House is going to be closed until February 1st. Snow White's Scary Adventures is going to be closed at the end of the month. Uh, the American Adventure is going to be closed for almost the entire month from January 7th through February 3rd. Now, not that you or people in your company might, you know, be all that concerned, but Playhouse Disney is also going to be closed from January 2nd through the 27th. That's going to uh, be a, a major overhaul, for example, where they actually bring in a bunch of new characters to the show. Also at the studios, Journey into Narnia, Creating the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. That attraction is going to be closed for refurb. It's also likely going to be converted into uh, a Prince Caspian-type theme uh, to coincide with the release of the new film. That's going to be closed from all of January up until May 23rd. You're also going to see some closures in and around some of the resorts, for example. So All-Star, Animal Kingdom Lodge, Caribbean Beach, they're doing some minor refurbishments to things like the pools or uh, construction in different areas, some minor refurbs here and there. So again, that's one of the things you need to look out for when you're going. If there's something specific that you want to see, you might want to check uh, you know, the Disney World website as, as far in advance as possible to see which, if any, of your favorite attractions might be closed. The next email is from Robert Rockwell, who doesn't have a question, but writes in response to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we asked where the, the name 1900 Park Fair, the restaurant in the Grand Floridian, might come from. And he wrote and said, Hey Lou, in the spirit of Dave Smith, when a box is just a box, park fair is a phrase that describes food that is sold and bought at a park, whether the park is a theme park, a ballpark, or just a park. Could it be so simple that the 1900 in 1900 Park Fair represents the time period that the hotel is themed in, and Park Fair signifies what you'll find inside? Face it, 1900 Park Fair sounds better than 1900 Restaurant. Just a guess, Rob. Rob, you know what? Like you said, sometimes a box is just a box. Maybe a name is just a name. That makes pretty good sense to me. I'll go with that until I hear otherwise, and uh, and I definitely appreciate you sending in, in uh, your opinion and a pretty good description of why you think it's 1900 Park Fair. Caitlin from Miami, Florida writes in and said, Hi Lou, first of all, love the show. I was wondering whatever happened to the Lion King ride in the Magic Kingdom. I remember it being in Fantasyland and everyone thinks I'm going crazy because no one else remembers it. Can you please shed some light on the subject? Caitlin, no worries, you are not going crazy, I promise you. The Legend of the Lion King show is what you remember. It did play in Fantasyland in the Magic Kingdom. It opened back on July 8th of 1994, and it closed on February 23rd, 2002. It was a live stage show. It was about 25 minutes long, and it consisted of puppets and animation, a lot of special effects. It was located in the 125-foot-wide 500-seat theater that was once home to the Mickey Mouse Review and Magic Journeys and is now home to Mickey's Philhar Magic. And if you remember, Rafiki was really your narrator of the story. He also welcomed you in the pre-show. And the show itself contained a lot of scenes you'd probably recognize from the Lion King movie, like The Circle of Life. Um, there was a spectacular finale to the show. And the thing that was great about it is the puppets were actually called Hume Animals. And they were giant puppets, much like you saw 
um, or you could see on the Broadway Lion King show, uh, which actually was inspired by this uh, attraction in the Magic Kingdom. And they were manipulated by these human animateers, is what they were called, which were hidden from the view of the audience, but they were huge and they were very lifelike and very fluid in their movements, uh, as opposed to any of the other you know, puppets like that that you might have seen in other shows in Disney World. And they really were an extension of the live actors controlling them below the stage, almost like you have now with Finding Nemo the Musical, although there you can actually see the actors. But... Like the show that followed, like Mickey's PhilharMagic, this was really a true 4D experience because you could have things like a warm wind kind of uh, brushing across your face during the Serengeti scenes and a mist that would be sprayed during the nighttime jungle rainforest scene. So it was a very, very popular show, very well done. It ran almost eight years uh, and unfortunately can't be seen anymore. I'm sure if you look online, you'll probably be able to find some videos on YouTube and things like that. But really, one of the very best shows like that and really, like I said, the precursor to what you have now with things like Finding Nemo the Musical. Next email comes from Lace Anderson who said, Lou, I need your help. I made a boo-boo and I planned my boyfriend and I's first trip to Walt Disney World on Super Bowl Sunday. Oops. That's an understatement. We arrive early afternoon the day of the Super Bowl, and I was wondering where you would suggest a good place to go to watch the game, or should we just stay in our hotel room? Also, does Disney do anything special for the Super Bowl? Thanks for your help, Lace. Lace, yes, you're going to definitely have to find, if, you're, if your boyfriend's a football fan, a place to watch the Super Bowl um, when you get down there. Obviously, the first things that come to mind are places like the ESPN Club uh, on the boardwalk, but I've got to tell you that it, if you are going to try and watch it there, you've got to get there very, very, very earlier, uh, earlier than, than usual because there is no priority seating there and the line to get a table is probably going to be huge. So you can try and get into the bar area. It is first come, first serve. Chances are that day guys are going to sort of plop themselves down at the bar and probably not get up uh, until the Super Bowl is long over. Another option you might want to look at is the All-Star Cafe, uh, which is located at Disney's Wide World of Sports Complex. I should note that it is only counter service now. It has changed from a table service restaurant to a counter service as of a couple of months ago. What I would definitely do, though, is call that restaurant ahead of time, find out what they're doing for the Super Bowl. That number is 407-827-8326. You can also go onto the Disney World website, Look up Wide World of Sports, and you'll see the link there for the official All-Star Cafe. Obviously, depending on what resort you're staying at, if there is a bar, if there's a lounge, if there's a restaurant there that might have TVs, that might be an option for you as well, depending on what time you get there, where you want to go, and if you really want to deal with some of the crowds that you might get in some of these other venues. The last email for this week comes from Michelle Whitman, and it's not really Walt Disney World specific, although you can hear the song in and around the parks in Animal Kingdom and other places. And her question is this, Hi Lou, I'm just wondering, what are the words at the beginning of Circle of Life? It's sung in native tongue and sounds to me like pink pink pajamas with penguins on <laughs> pink pajamas with penguins on the bottom, which obviously isn't correct. I'd like to put the lyrics and their meaning in my scrapbook. Thanks so much. Love the show and glad to hear you on the podcast award. Michelle, thank you for the question and the, and the laugh that I gave myself. But I was actually very curious about this as well because I won't even tell you what I try and sing when I sing in the shower or in the car and, or other places when I'm certainly not recording. Anyway, I did look it up and I did find out that there are... Uh, real English. There really is an English translation to it. Uh, I won't try and pronounce the lyrics for you. I will reproduce them in the show notes. But what it says is, 
there comes a lion, and the next line is, oh yes, it's a lion, and then it repeats, there comes a lion, oh yes, it's a lion. Then the next line is, we're going to conquer, and then I got a couple of different translations for the last line, which is, Inguinyama Nengwe Emabala, and I've gotten everything from, it's a lion and tiger, to what supposedly is a literal translation, which means, a lion and leopard come to this open place, so... Take either uh, as you'd like and put it into your scrapbook. Like I said, I'm going to put these lyrics up in the show notes at wdwradio.com. That's going to do it for the email this week. Like I said, I still have a lot to get to, but please, I invite you to keep on sending your emails, questions, comments, anything you'd like to lou at wdwradio.com. That's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank you for tuning in again this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks also to my guests, including Steve Barrett. You can read all about Hidden Mickeys. Submit your own and vote on those submitted by others by going to hiddenmickeysguide.com. There you can also pick up Steve's Walt Disney World and Disneyland Hidden Mickeys books. I also want to tell you about something else you might want to pick up and enjoy by the fire, and that's the new Orlando Attractions magazine. Located at attractionsmagazine.com, it's a new publication covering all of your favorite Orlando area theme parks and attractions. The premier issue has just been released. I had a chance to take a look at it during MouseFest. It was a lot of fun. It had some great Walt Disney World articles, including a big detailed article all about Epcot's 25th anniversary, the Haunted Mansion makeover, and more. You can pick up a copy or subscribe by visiting attractionsmagazine.com. Don't forget to visit some other friends of the show, like ownerslocker.com, a must-have accessory for your next Walt Disney World vacation, as well as orlandofuntickets.com for the best possible prices on Walt Disney World tickets and events from the largest authorized and official Disney ticket source. I'll put links to all these on this week's show notes. If you are a new listener, maybe somebody who heard about the show or I met over at MouseFest, I invite you to go back and check out some of my earlier shows. Many have content that's not really date-specific and includes everything from exclusive interviews with Disney legends and Imagineers to hidden treasures, best of the bests, trivia, history, seven wonders of Walt Disney World, and more. And no, I haven't forgotten about number seven. We saved the best for last, and I promise we're going to cover that after the new year. Go to wdwradio.com, click on the show directory link on the left-hand side of the page. There you can get a synopsis of each of the episodes, Download the ones you like. You can also subscribe to the show from there or listen right from your browser. My audio guide to Walt Disney World, the first CD is Main Street USA. That and signed and personalized copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books are always available at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. There you're also going to find plenty of other information, articles, history, as well as the happiest forums on Earth. After months and months of work kind of backstage, Look for an all-new, expanded DisneyWorldTrivia.com site to launch in early 2008. There's going to be a huge new trivia section, new articles, a blog, a new look, and many, many more features. Stay tuned for more details as to when that's going to launch. I'm also still looking for old photos for the site from Walt Disney World from the 70s to the 90s. If you have any that you want to share, please email me or just send copies of the pictures to lou at wdwradio.com. They can be of attractions, shows, buildings, just about anything from the parks. I also invite you to please keep emailing the show with your questions and comments. If you have suggestions for the show, maybe a suggestion for the segment, by all means, please email me or call on your voicemail at 
202-4WDW. I love hearing from you. It's a great way to get on the show. love hearing from you, especially when you're in Walt Disney World itself. And if you want to talk to other listeners about the show, maybe comment on something, you can go over to the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. There we have a WDW radio show forum. You can go in, interact, and talk with other listeners. It's a lot of fun and always 100% completely free. And I have to take a moment to wish all of you a very safe, happy, and healthy holiday season, whether you celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Diwali, or nothing at all. I hope you enjoy this time with your family and friends. And I mean it from the heart when I say that you all have given me the best possible present, and that's the ability to do what I do and share my passion and appreciation for a place that means so much to all of us. I consider myself very fortunate and blessed to have you guys listen each and every week, and for that I am very, very thankful. I hope this holiday season is happy for you and your family as we prepare to look forward to what I think is going to be a very exciting 2008. And finally, if you like the show, please review us on iTunes, and more importantly, Please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Thanks again to my guests, and thanks, as always, to you, the listener, for tuning in once again. Have a great holiday and a wonderful week. See ya. From all of us to all of you, a very Merry Christmas. Good night.